few stories have caught fire like the Hunger Games. I mean, have you read the books? I, I'm a reader. I'm an avid reader. I love reading, but I don't think I've ever read a series of books as quickly as I read the Hunger Games. There's three of them. I read all three of them, I think, in like seven days, which for some people, that's like, took you a whole day to read a book? I read two a day. I'm like, that's good for you. But for me, like, I, I, don't, I don't move at that pace, but I, just, I, I was, I was uh, on the edge of my seat the whole time. I was up to like one or two o'clock in the morning, multiple nights. I got to finish this story, and it felt so silly because it's narrated from a 16-year-old girl's perspective, and I'm like, why, why am I so? into this story but it it's an epic story and it's like the scale of it is huge uh of course the movie the books were made into i think four movies and they have really done a great job if you haven't seen them check them out i will say that uh it, they're, they're fairly violent and i know a lot of our kids uh come into this main service and so of course it's every parent's perspective uh to decide which movies your children should watch but i will tell you that they might not be kid friendly mostly because they're really violent and the main characters are kids and like some violent things happen to the kids but it shows you the picture of a world that maybe you haven't imagined. Um, like I said, the story itself follows a 16-year-old girl. Her name is Katniss Everdeen. America, as we know it, is no more. But on the continent where we are now, there is a new world, uh, I believe called Pan Am, and it's separated into several districts. And in each district, uh, the people there are responsible for producing a certain natural resource, and that's like their whole livelihood. So those districts are living in the fear of the capital district, which is all the way in the west. And this capital district, man, these people... It's like Hollywood on steroids. I mean, it's the, the whole society there in the capital district is all about pleasure and entertainment and spending millions of dollars just to make myself happy and fashion, and it's ridiculous. The people in the other districts are oppressed, and they're living in fear, and they're living in poverty, and they can't speak up, and they have no voice of their own. These 12 districts have uh, this annual event. It's called the Hunger Games. The Hunger Games is solely uh, for the entertainment of the Capital District. It actually serves two purposes that I'll get to in a second. But the main thing that it does is it keeps people entertained. And, and this is kind of how Hunger Games works, okay? There's these, there's these 12 districts, and each one is responsible each year for sending two competitors for this game. The competitors are called tributes, a boy and a girl between the ages of 12 and 18, and they're selected by lottery, as you saw in the trailer there. Their names are called out. And they're sent in to compete, compete in this thing called the Hunger Games. And what happens is they arrive, they receive some training in uh, like, 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 like warriors, in battle tactics and strategies and camouflage and all these things. And then they're set loose in this huge arena. Not, don't think football stadium. Don't even think like NASCAR, okay? This is miles and miles wide with different terrain, wooded areas and fields and uh, like deserts and, and, and even like what look like oceans and rivers. It's like, it's huge. And they're set loose in there. And this is the, the big like push of the games. They're set loose in there like gladiators to fight to the death until the last child is left standing. The worst part about the whole situation is that it's broadcast like a reality TV show. And people all around uh, the nation watch it, and they cheer on their favorite competitors, and they hope for certain people to lose. And i got to be honest, it's barbaric. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's terrifying. And I can't imagine living in a world like that. As you saw in the trailer we watched, Katniss, who is our main character, her little sister, Primrose, they call her Prim, her name is drawn. From District 12. And Katniss has an opportunity to volunteer to go in her sister's place. 
And that kid, I won't spoil the rest of the story for you. You can totally watch it and follow it. It's, it's, it's as gory and crazy as it sounds. If you haven't seen the movie, on the other end of it is this amazing story of revolution and redemption and this really cool thing that happens. But when Katniss volunteers, she says, I volunteer as tribute. She just says, I can't imagine that my sister would have to go and do this and I would stay home and be safe. Though she was terrified, though the people standing in that uh, selection area were completely living in fear, she had to step up and do something. Can you imagine living in a world like that? I mean, just for a second, like, don't even try to get too deep into that, but can you just imagine? What would it be like living in that type of fear? Let me just kind of paint this picture. Can you imagine living in a world where people with lots of power use fear and threats to rule the rest of the world? It really doesn't take a lot of imagination, does it? I mean, there's not like a, an arena where we're making children fight to the death, but I mean, if you just look through history, you rewind and names like Adolf Hitler, Osama bin Laden, Kim Jong-un come to mind. Oppressive, dictatorial people who have this nothing but hate in their minds. And then if you look through the landscape of like news headlines over the last few decades, phrases like domestic terrorism and gangs, snipers, remember that? School shootings. They've just been like littering the headlines for years. People using fear and threats to rule over people. More recently, the actions of uh, racist-based hate groups have risen to the top. And it's not a new thing, but it's happening again. And we're like, what? Who's going to stop this? And worst of all, we live in this constant state of fear. There's been a genre of storytelling that's uh, it's been around for a really long time, but more recently it's come to the forefront in movies and books. Uh, are you familiar with the storytelling uh, genre called dystopian future? Dystopian future. We, we see it all over the place. Uh, dystopia, let's start with that word. The word dystopia means like a bad place. It's the opposite of utopia, which means good place. So like dystopia, somewhere you don't want to be. And in this dystopian future or dystopian uh, fantasy, the idea is like the world is kind of coming to an end as we know it. You get the whole idea of like zombie apocalypse or like what's the world like after nuclear fallout or what happens when the internet fails us or what happens when we uh, pollute our planet to the point where we have to move and live on another planet, right? These are the stories that are on like, it's like every movie that comes out right now. It's about this dystopian, apocalyptic type future and and it makes us think like what what if that did happen you ever had the conversation with someone what, what you gonna do in the zombie apocalypse my kids are great they're like i'm going to walmart <laughs> they straight up my daughter she's eight years old she tells me that regularly dad just in case there's a zombie apocalypse i'm going to sam's club or walmart i'm like why are you planning for the zombie apocalypse i got you girl but apparently that's not good enough she needs to know how to get to walmart she's like there's ammo there's food there's beds like clean socks like it's all there <laughs> Just so you know, like, go there, we'll be there. If you're a zombie, you can't come. We'll have to take care of you. But we're going to set up, we're going to put up a barricade. So, like, but we just kind of think, like, what, what if? If things keep going down this rabbit hole that we're in, like, what, what could happen? How bad could it get? And the worst part about all of this is that it feeds on, on, one, of, it feeds on one of our most, like, primal emotions. You know what that is? You all have it? Fear. It's considered one of the most basic responses we can have to something. Fear. Sometimes it begins when we're babies, things that we're scared of. Fear. And fear is a pretty motivating factor in our life. We've got lots of different fears. I mean, anybody scared of spiders, snakes, 
Yeah, don't be, don't be shy. Like, I mean, it's like we got fear. And there's a lot of fears that are unreasonable. Like, I mean, I see people freak out about these. You see these big, like, water bugs that come into your house? They're, like, this big. And, like, they really should be arrested for breaking and entering. They're so, these big water bugs. And at my house, there's, like, a constant, like, ah! And then they think I'm the ruthless murderer who's supposed to come in and, like, kill all the water bugs in the world. I'm like, there's 17 more where this one came from. Let's just, let's not make them mad. <laughs> like, let's just let them be. And they're, but some, some fears are, are warranted, and some are probably crazy. And the worst part about fear, and as I've been thinking about this week, one of the worst parts about fear is that what it causes us to miss out on. Like a fear, maybe a reasonable fear of, of a venomous snake or something, but a fear of that might miss, help us miss the opportunity of like taking a very beautiful walk in a trail, you know, in the mountains or something. You're like, but I can't do it. I'm scared of snakes. I won't get in that water. What if there's alligators, right? You don't go in the ocean. Yet, you know what? Sharks live in the ocean. That's their house, right? But these fears make us, make us miss out. A fear of heights might make you miss out on like a beautiful view of, off a mountaintop or off of a tower or top of a building or something. And then there's more important things, maybe a fear of conversations or relationships. You know, it might make you miss out on like a really important relation. You could, you could have a best friend. You might could find a spouse in this situation, but like I just can't. I can't talk to people. I've been burned in the past. And this fear, it keeps us from something beautiful. Most importantly, the fear in its basic form, has the potential to keep us from missing out on living and trusting in the promises of God. Because let's be honest, fear erodes our ability to do what? Trust. And if we can't trust, it's impossible to please God. That's actually a part of a scripture. <laughs> you, you got to be able to trust God. The word is faith there. Fear can be damaging, and it can be crippling, and what do we do, and how do we overcome it? The dystopian future stories like Hunger Games are not so far removed from the world that we actually live in, and so often I just, you know, I kiss my kids goodnight, and I pray for them, and then I just have this moment. I try to live in a place of trust and a place of courage, but man, I have these moments where I'm like, man, why? Why did we bring these kids into this world? Can we get an island somewhere? Like me and five of my best friends, and let's just go have an island, and then we'll make rules where no one else can come on the island, and then that would make a great TV show probably. But that's not real life. We live in a world where bad things happen, and how do we? So that's the that's the topic I want to jump into this morning. There's a lot of places we could go with Hunger Games, but I think one of this thing in, in the world. Look at the headlines. Look at the things that are happening in this world. What do we do? What do we do? Should we stick our head under a rock? Should we hide in a closet with a double barrel shotgun? Like what? What do we do? Both of those sound like reasonable options, but I want to present a third and more viable option this morning as we get into God's word. What does it mean to trust God in a world that is so easy to be afraid of? Each week, we love to look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. And so if you've got a Bible this morning, go ahead and break that thing out. Um, we have some scattered among some of the seats, I believe. So if you didn't bring one with you, feel free to find one of those or use your phone. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible of your own, we want you to have a good readable version of the Bible. So we have free ones, uh, some here. I think there's some out by the coffee area. Grab one before you leave. Um, in fact, just take one. If it's sitting on the table and it's a Bible, make sure it doesn't have somebody else's name in it. But you, we want you to have a good readable Bible. And we're going to be in the book of Matthew today in chapter 14. Matthew is in the New Testament of the Bible, which is that last third portion of our English Bibles. And, uh, and Matthew is one of the four biographies of Jesus' life. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. These are all stories uh, about the life of Jesus and his teachings. So we're in the book of Matthew this morning, chapter 14. I'll say it again in a second in case you need to be reminded. 
with the book of Matthew, we're going to find uh, Jesus in a place where he's done something really cool just a minute ago, and he's about to do something else really cool in just a minute, but we're right in the middle of these two moments. The, the really cool thing he had done just a minute ago was actually the day before. He had just taken a little boy's lunchbox with five loaves of bread and two fish in it, and he had multiplied that little lunch to feed thousands of people. That is incredible. My wife does something similar to that with leftovers, but like, I don't think it's the same level. Like, that's just creative thriftiness. Jesus did a miracle. Okay? He creates matter. He feeds people, that, and it sustains them, and there's leftovers, which is awesome, which then my wife could work with that. But like, this is an amazing thing. And so the apostles, the disciples, these are Jesus' closest followers. They, they've just seen all that, this huge faith-building moment. Man, this guy is something else. And, and they're riding the wave of that really cool moment, and where we find them, they're in a boat, okay? And there's a couple moments in the Bible where the disciples are in a boat, and they're all really cool moments. And they're in this place called the Sea of Galilee. So imagine a really, really big, really big lake, okay? And so they're, they're kind of in this, this boat, and they're going from point A on this side of the lake, and they're just kind of going over to another place where Jesus said, hey, let's meet over there, and we're going we're gonna to be together over there. Jesus wasn't with them at the moment. And I don't know if the disciples maybe didn't know exactly where he had gone. He didn't exactly tell them where they had gone. The author fills us in, says that Jesus had actually gone up onto a hillside, uh, kind of a mountaintop, to, to pray. He wanted to get away. He had just done like a really big miracle. And like, like parents, if you've ever done a miracle, like, you know, you just got to get away from your kids for a minute, right? You just got to like get away. And Jesus gets away and he just prays and he's getting himself centered. A, a really cool part of the, the narrative, though, is that while Jesus is sitting on this hilltop, he can actually see the Sea of Galilee. And so like right across the way, he can actually see his disciples in this boat, which is where we pick up. It's in the middle of the night because this whole festivities with the food went way into the, into the early morning. It's dark. Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 24. Let's pick up. It says, And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them. Listen to this. It's in English, and it means what it says. Walking on the lake. Not walking around the lake, not swimming through the lake. It says, and it means walking on the lake. You heard that right. I, may, uh, I think the, the, com, like the, the, the concept or the phrase, like so-and-so walks on water. And like, or maybe Jesus walked on water. That's like, a, that's like a phrase we use, and it means that someone's like, got like really big powers, and they can get, take care of some stuff. But it's not just a figure of speech. If you've never read the story where Jesus actually walked on water, this is it. And it actually happened. Jesus defies physics here, which, by the way, physics say people can't walk on water. I think Isaac Newton said that, okay? And like this, but this is like real deal. He is defying physics. He's walking on the surface of a lake, and he walks out. There's kind of this storm. It says that the sea was, was buffeting the boat, and it's being shake, shaken around. And the men in the boat were just kind of getting a little bit nervous. These are career fishermen, many of them. They've been on the water a lot. I don't imagine they're super nervous just yet. But Jesus says it goes out to meet him. So verse 26, this is where it gets crazy. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were, understandably, terrified. It's a ghost, they said. 
and they cried out in fear. I, I've been in a couple of boats during uh, a storm, not really, really bad ones, but in the 90s, the worst one I've ever been in was it, like sometime in the, in the mid-90s, I remember I was with my granddad and his buddy who was a really good fisherman. He lives out in the Outer Banks, and I think we are in the uh, Albemarle Sound at the time, which is, if you know that area, that's, that's that water. It's a, it's a really big body of water, and we were out there, and this is before uh, iPhone apps that tell you the weather like up to the second. Like you just kind of guess. I think you lick your finger and hold in the air, and you're like, yeah, we should be good for fishing today. Like, that's kind of where we were. So we were out, but like this storm kind of came out of nowhere, which happens in eastern North Carolina. And the storm whipped up out of nowhere, and we're being tossed around, and like lightning starts striking. And at the moment, I think I was like, I was probably like 10 years old. And I remember being like, this is cool. This is fine. But then I looked up at my granddad and his buddy, and I realized it wasn't cool. It wasn't fine, because my granddad, who I'd never seen scared in my life, was like, we, we need to get in. We need to get in right now. And the, the guy who's the fisherman guy was like, yeah, this is pretty bad. And we're rocking and we're rolling. If you've ever been out there, it's, it's very reasonable to be terrified. These guys are career fishermen. And then they see a figure walking on the water, and it says they are terrified. And what's their response? It's a ghost. That's a reasonable assumption. <laughs> I mean, like, like, I've never seen this happen before. Verse 27. But immediately Jesus said to them, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. If you want to memorize some scripture today, if you want to walk away with anything, memorize these three sentences. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Fear often happens without much forethought. Um, like if someone jumps out at you from a dark corner, you normally don't take the time to go, should I scream like a little girl and wet my pants right now? No, you're just like, ah, oop, it just happens. It, it just ha Fear is like a, normally it's just a response. And I don't care how big and burly of a man you are or how tough of a lady you are, if someone catches you off guard just right, you might scream, you might punch them, but you, you don't think about it. It just happens. This fear many times is just, just a reaction. And there's this time, I was, I was, uh, it was not long after the time in the boat, I think. It was around the same time in my life. I remember this happened to me. I was in my, uh, my house. It was late at night. My mom and dad had thought I had gone to bed or that I was asleep. They knew I was supposed to be asleep at least. My mom had gone downstairs to fix herself some Diet Coke. It's funny that I remember that it was Diet Coke, but I do. And I had gone down, and I was like, I'm going to scare mom. So I come down, and I sneak into like a little corner right by the staircase. And my mom's coming out of the kitchen, doo-doo-doo. And I'm like, ah! And she's like, ah! And then I'm like, ah! And then she throws her Coke on me. And then she starts laughing, and I start crying, and she's hugging me. And she's like, I'm like, no, no, no. And my dad comes out like, what is happening? And there I am crying, and my mom's laughing, and she's hugging me, and I'm covered in Diet Coke. Like, fear is just a response. Like, we just, ah! And it just happens. Halloween's coming around, and that's like, we get a lot of fun out of it. It's a lot of, fear just happens. But there's something else that goes on here. Jesus gives these people something else, another option. He says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. His first phrase is, take courage. Fear is often a, ha, huh, a response. Courage is a choice. Can you be scared and still have courage? I don't think that you can have courage without being scared. Otherwise, it's just called a normal day. <laughs> courage is a choice. Built on something, decided for some reason. But courage is a choice, and Jesus says this. Take courage. Grab a hold of your fear and look it in the eye and make a decision. 
not to let it rule you. Uh, The great scholarly source Wikipedia gives us this. Courage, also called bravery or valor, is the choice and willingness to confront agony, pain, danger, uncertainty, or intimidation. Physical courage is bravery in the face of physical pain or hardship or death of threat or death or threat of death. And then there's something called moral courage. It says moral courage is the ability to act rightly in the face of opposition, shame, scandal, discouragement, or personal loss. You, you, you get that? Like courage is a choice. I'm going to look it in the eye. I'm going to do what I believe is the best thing. And then Jesus, in these tiny little sentences, three of them, he, he gives us a lesson. What should we do? What can we do in the face of a world full of fear? Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. The world is a dangerous place. Stuff's blowing up all over the place. There's people doing stuff. It could happen anywhere. What do I do? What do I do? Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Okay, all right, but I don't know if we're going to make it financially this month. Like, things are tight, and, and I got laid off my job, and this and this and this, and I'm not sure. Da, da, da. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. What's happening in our nation right now? What's going on? Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. The world of the Hunger Games is a scary place. About as scary as I, I could imagine. And there's a moment in the story where the character Katniss does this. We see it. She takes courage. Her sister is put on the chopping block, essentially. She had no chance. There are these people in the story called careers. And the careers are the people who they actually spend their whole life training for the Hunger Games. And so then there's the other people who aren't career uh, tributes. And so, like, they're, they're toast. Like, they're not going to make it. Primrose is one of those. Do you think her big sister Katniss was scared? Oh, you see it in the clip. The actress does a fantastic job of portraying how terrified she is. But she's like, I, but I can't just let this happen. In the courageous moment, she says, I volunteer as tribute. Where does fear come from? We all wrestle with it. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. You can go ask your therapist where it comes from. But um, I got some ideas and some experience like the rest of us. And, and I think at its core, fear sometimes is just a reaction. But I think on a larger scale, fear is often learned, isn't it? It's the, it's the hot stove thing. You know the hot stove thing? Like you let a kid touch a hot stove, they won't touch it again. By the way, that's my number one parenting rule. <laughs> All right, go ahead. I'm going to give you a, what is it, a leash long enough that, to hang yourself, whatever it is. Like, go out, and, go out and touch the hot stove. I told you not to touch it, but if you want to see what it feels like, touch it. My son's laughing because he knows it's true. And, and so, like, we learn these responses. We learn that there's certain creepy people in white vans that we probably should stay away from. Why? Because, you know, history teaches us that, and people give us, experience teaches us that. There are things, there are reasonable fears. There are things that we should stay away from because they're endangering our lives, um, But one of the gifts that God gives us is the ability to face even reasonable fears with courage, with trust, with faith, faith, knowing that even if everything falls apart, even if I follow my instincts and can't even, you know, not touch the stove, God is still bigger. God is still more powerful. God is still able to see me through. I think the idea is not that we should just uh, trust God and like jump into the deep end of the pool and be like, I can't swim, but God's going to save me because that's foolishness. But it's saying, you know what? I can be in the boat as long as God is in the boat with me. If the boat goes under, I'm right where I need to be. 
It's, it's a thin line, but it helps us manage our fear with the courage that only God can, can deliver. There's a passage uh, in 2 Timothy 1.7, and I love the context of it, but I'm just going to give you the one little verse here. And it teaches us about the, uh, the place of fear in a person of faith's life. Let's just read it, 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I don't know where you are with God today. You might be just visiting church to check it out because your friend invited you. I'm so glad you're here. You might not be in a place where you want to say, like, I'm totally a Christian. I'm all in. I'm ready to get the fish sticker on the back of my car. Like, you might not be, you might not be there. But I want to let you know that when you choose Jesus, when we come to him in faith, the Bible teaches that when we accept him and we're obedient to him, we're baptized in his name, we get this gift. It's called the, the Holy Spirit. It's God's spirit that lives alongside of us in our life. And it says that spirit is not a spirit of timidity. It's a spirit of power and a spirit of love and a spirit of self-discipline. And if you want some of that in your life, I would encourage you to stick around. And come back maybe just, just one, more, one more week, maybe five more weeks. Just stick around. Talk to some people who have that faith and say, how is this true for you? And maybe you'll make that decision for yourself as well. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Let's keep reading the story. Verse 28. The Lord said, oh, sorry. This is Peter talking. So Peter's, uh, Peter's one of the disciples. He says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. Time out. What? Have you ever been to a swimming pool? You ever tried to think, like, see how far you can run before you fall in? Like, okay. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page here. This is what Peter says. Like, if it's you, Jesus has just multiplied fish and bread. That's pretty awesome. He's done some other pretty cool. He made, made, uh, made water into wine. That was pretty cool. What in the world would make Peter, though, think that this is a good idea? I don't know. I have no idea. But it's so cool that Peter had the idea. If it's you, tell me to come. So what's Jesus say? All right, come. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's me. It is me. Then Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water, and he came towards Jesus. I just want to sit in this moment for a minute, because if you've read this story before, you know it doesn't last long. But I want to give credit where credit's due right here for just a moment. This story goes by way too fast. I wish that there was like an interview portion with, with Peter, like in the extra features part on the DVD. And, you know, we're sitting with Peter. Like, what was it like walking on the water? Like, did, was it warm under your feet? Like, could you still feel the wind? Were you in like some sort of like Jesus cocoon? When you made eye contact with Jesus, were there angels? And how long did it last for you? Like, in the writing, it looks like it goes by really fast. But did it seem, you know, you have these moments like it felt like, it felt like I was there for an hour. Like, what was it like for you? We don't have any of that, but... Sometimes we're in these places with, with, with Jesus and, and then something else happens and we just, we're really quick to move on. I don't want to move on because I want to give Peter some credit here. This guy walked on water with Jesus. I did a little reading about the Sea of Galilee this week. At its deepest points, I think it's like 150 feet deep. It's not as deep as the ocean, but that's, that's pretty deep. And on average, it is like 80 feet deep. That, that's deep water. This is no mud puddle. And he knew this. He's a fisherman. He grew up right around the corner. If it's you, tell me to come. Come. All right. Wow. That's, that's the story as it goes. And it's incredible. But it doesn't take long, and it doesn't last long. Verse 30 moves on in the story. But when he, talking about Peter, when Peter saw the wind, 
he was afraid. And he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? I've taught this story many times. And, and when I get to this part, I, I, I often think, like, what did Jesus, what was he really thinking about Peter? I help coach uh, my son's um, football team right now. And, you know, we really proud of these boys. Uh, but then they mess up on a play and we're like, ah, oh, you should have done this. You should have done that. But like deep down inside, we're still dads. And we're like, yeah, but that play you did before, whoo, that was sweet. And later we tell them. In this moment, there's a coaching thing happening with Peter. Jesus says, why, why didn't you trust me? You have little faith. Why did you doubt? But I wonder if there's also a big part of Jesus' heart going, yeah, boy. Oh, you're not there yet, but you're going to get there. You're going to get there. You're the only one who stepped out. You're the only one who called, called on me. And then he does this thing. He draws this direct connection between Peter's faith and his ability to walk on water. This doesn't naturally connect for me. Maybe it does for you. But like, I got faith. I don't think that means I should be able to walk on water. You see? Like, that's weird. But Jesus directly connects the two. I don't think that at all that Jesus is saying, it's my goal for all of you to walk on water. Obviously, that's not true. But I do think it says a lot about what we are capable of if we put our trust fully in God. If we know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, if we know that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine, both of those are scriptures, then we can begin to think, whatever I'm dealing with, whatever I'm scared of, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come. Of course, Jesus is saying, come. And we can step out in it and we can know, I can walk through this. Verse 32, it wraps up the story in a fitting way. Verse 32 says, and when they climbed into the boat, um, <laughs> you ever climbed into a boat from the water? I don't know, just kind of a funny moment, but I guess they were on top of the water. Maybe it was easier. When they climbed into the boat, it says the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat, listen, they worshiped him, Jesus, saying truly, you are the son of God. The world we live in is a, is a super scary place. There's a lot of things that are, you know, I, I don't like to get too, um, too metaphoric with the Bible. I don't, I, don't think that the, I don't think that the Bible is an allegory. I think that it's real stories. But I do see moments like this, and I could say something like, what's the storm in your life, right? What's the wave you need to step out on, whatever. Like, there's a metaphor there, but the, the reality is we live in a scary place. But God, who is the God of the universe, he is not scared He's not scared of, of, of shootings, of racist hate groups. He's not scared of the president's Twitter account. It doesn't bother him. Not one bit. He's not scared of whatever it is that you're scared of. And he's already come to say, I'm getting in the boat with you. Let's do this together. You can trust me. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And so what do we do? What do we do? Well, how do I take courage? It's easier said than done. I think the key word, and I've said it a bunch of times already, is faith. It's faith, and I'll be honest, faith is, is, is something that grows through your life. And we're all at different levels of faith. And you might look at somebody else and go, how are they dealing with that? I'm doing the exact same thing. I'm praying. I'm, doing, I'm going to church. I got friends around. How come they're dealing with it so much better? Because it's, faith is a growing process. What, what, is, what is faith? Faith is, there's a couple of like quick definitions and things to understand. Faith is knowing that God is who he says he is 
and that he will do what he's promised he will do. That's a big deal. I believe you because I, I believe that you are who you say you are, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of life, the giver of love, the source of light. I believe that and that you will do what you promised you will do, which is you will never leave me or forsake me, which surely you will be with me till the ends of the age, which you will provide for me when I need it. And if I ask, you will give me what I need if I seek your kingdom first. Like these are... Believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do the things that he's promised he'll do. Faith is trusting that God has things under control even when I can't even conceive of how it could possibly work out. I'm someone who likes to see the end of the, the plan or at least the steps. And if you were with us over the summer when our church uh, couldn't find a place to meet, you saw the week-by-week -week update of how we as a church leadership were like, we still don't know God's plan. We know he's going to provide for us. We don't know how he's going to do it. We don't know when it's going to happen. And that's faith. All right, God, we're just going to keep doing this. We're going to keep doing what you call us to do. And the biggest thing that I think we can learn from today is this, and I kind of I hinted a second ago at it, that faith is a lot like a muscle. It's a lot like a muscle. Have you ever had to rehab a muscle after a bad injury? You might remember, I think it's been almost four years ago, I dislocated this shoulder. This shoulder was here, and a lot of you were there to see it. I, was, I did the manliest thing ever. I dislocated my shoulder while playing kickball at the church kickball tournament. That's manly. Guys, if you want to you know, really get some bragging rights, that's how you do it. You just lay out in front of all your church family. and just Anyway, um, but uh, the worst part about that, it was bad. Like, if you, I won't. It was bad. But the worst part of the injury was the rehab. It lasted for months, months and months and months. And there was a time where I was like, man, I can't put my shoes on. I got to get my wife to help me take my shirt off sometimes. I'm stuck. <laughs> uh, my kids are like, Dad, are you okay? Rehabbing a muscle is hard. And, and, and the thing about rehabbing a muscle that I had to learn the hard way, with well, it's about small steps, and it's about persistence. Like, it's, it's a big deal at first to be able to do this. That's all I had at some point, you know? I buttoned my own pants today. Let's throw a party. And there are a lot of people who have injured themselves, and some of you might be some of them. They're like, you know, I give up on rehab, and then it's 15 years later, and you're like, but I, now I can't move my arms all the way. I can't do all this. The rehab has got to be taken seriously, and you've got to celebrate the small steps, and step by step by step by step by step by step, I can do this. And I can swim, and I can do push-ups now and pull-ups. But let me tell you something. I still wake up most mornings thinking about how much I hate kickball because <laughs> it leaves soreness. But faith is like that. It takes small steps, incremental steps, and i got to trust God this much right now. I want to trust him that much, but I'm going to at least trust him this much. And then you're like, well, that worked really well. I'm going to trust him this much and this much. And step by step by step, I get closer and closer to understanding what it lives, means to live in a life with no fear. But instead of living in that, I live in a life that's all about trusting God and his promises, knowing that he is who he says he is and that he will do what he's promised he will do. And before you know it, you're out of the pain. You're out of the fear. You're out of the brokenness. And you can move on. And you can do the best thing ever, which is enjoy the promises of God. Living a life that's all about giving him glory. And knowing how to respond to when the world gives you lemons. You don't make lemonade. You trust God. He makes lemonade. He's really good at it. Hunger Games. How did we get here? You know, Hunger Games is a world, it's way different than the world we live in. It's a world with plenty of fear. And that we use this movie as an opportunity to talk about fear, I can't help but step into the most obvious picture from the Hunger Games movie. And it goes right along with dealing with our fear. 
The most obvious uh, teaching point from this story is about Katniss's love for her sister. She loved her sister so much that she would do anything to keep her safe. She would do anything to give her the life that she hoped that she could have. And, and, and it won't spoil the details uh, for you to know this, but that act of love and courage in the first movie, it sparks a rebellion that goes through the entire nation. And it all began with love. And it all began with sacrifice. The most commonly quoted scripture in the whole Bible, perhaps, is John 3.16. You might have seen it on a poster at a football game. You know what it says? That God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that anyone who believes in him won't die spiritually, won't be separated from God because of their sin, but instead will have eternal life. Jesus says, I volunteer a tribute. I'll go in your place. And because of that, you can take courage because it's me. Don't be afraid. It is I. Take courage. I look at the world we live in and I just have to, I got to give you guys some props. And this is the coolest part about what church is all about. Jesus came and did that amazing thing for us. He gave us a way that we could escape fear, live in faith, but then he says, you, go into the world. Shine my light. Tell people about it. Tell them that they don't have to be afraid. Tell them that you don't have to react with riots and protests, but instead you can react by loving people where they are. You can go to their jobs and to their places of employment and to your next door neighbor. And you can find the people that are hurting and the people that are broken. And you can say, listen, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Let me tell you about Jesus. He's the hope of the world. And he's not afraid. Let, let me pray for us in our city this morning. Let's pray. God, we love you. You're truly good. Father, as we uh, address fear, give us courage. Um, in some ways, it's, it's easier for me to stand in front of this group of people and talk about courage than it is for me to actually have courage. It's probably true for most of us. Lord, help us not speak in uh, some sort of like idealistic platitudes and just say, yeah, God's got it in his, under control, but help us to live it out. Let us teach our children what it means to make the right choices and love you in spite of our fear and trust you. Let us teach each other that. Let us teach our neighbors that. And that the first example and the first uh, reality of that will be the fact that we're setting the example. Thank you for getting in the boat with us. Thank you for volunteering as tribute. And thank you for giving us an opportunity to new life in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.